This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, followed by verses 36 through 42. Please follow along in your own Bibles, or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands to the people of the kingdom. The weeds are people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hello, everybody. Yeah. You know, the, the human heart is uh, very layered, and when people ask, how is your sabbatical, you know, I, I, how much time do you have? And uh, overall, it was really good. So I'm gonna, I have to say a few things about it, and that'll lead into our... Uh, parable for today. So the first thing I did, the uh, greatest thing I did maybe was I went fly fishing with my boys. All right. Yeah. And I can, I got pictures, but uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and then I had a, a week of class uh, in at Regent College Seminary in Vancouver where it's kind of my old stomping grounds there. And I audited it. So there was no work involved. I just enjoyed it. And then uh, we had, let's say, a family reunion. That was another uh, week there. I did tons of reading. And um, then uh, I hurt my hamstring. Okay? Not while reading. <laughs> I, uh, I was playing pickleball. Anybody ever played that game? It's a great game. I, I want to say it's a great game, but I lunged more than I should have lunged, and it re- that really hurts. But I was told by somebody, a very wise person, that every great athlete suffers a hamstring injury at some point. <laughs> very encouraging. And then, I, this is where I want to uh, go, though. I spent a day with uh, my college roommate, and I had a very special relationship with my uh, college roommate at the University of Washington. We had gone to high school together, but we really didn't know each other in high school, and we just discovered each other kind of in in college and developed this cool relationship, uh, which I want to tell you a little bit about. 
Uh, he was a, uh, a Russian major and uh, a microbiology major, and I was an economics major. And I don't know, somehow we just talked a lot, and our conversations went oftentimes to two in the morning, and just, just talking. He, he really didn't have a, a much of a social life, and so I kind of filled in that gap for him, I guess. But um, the, the thing that I want to... There's two qualities about him that are where I want to go. One, he's very moralistic, very, and I mean that in a good way, in the sense that he really believes in right and wrong. And, um, and, and he's devastated by the world that he sees around us now, that it isn't the world that we knew back then. And uh, he's very nostalgic, and as I uh, love to say, uh, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. Right? <laughs> okay, there, there's the joke. But I, I said that joke to him, and he didn't laugh, you know? <laughs> um, but he is, and, and then he, he's also very science-minded. And so when we talk about big stuff, that's where he goes. That's his default setting. And in his world, God is, there's no, it's not open to God. There's no, you know, invasion of God. It, it, that everything that needs to be known has to be known through science. And I, and I pointed out to him that that's a belief system, which he didn't like. Uh, but, and that, that was in our recent conversation. I pointed that out to him. And, and that you know has it has its own assumptions that can't be proven by science. It's kind of that if you know. So at any rate, that that's who he is. This this science. He had a, uh, a two degrees at in, at the BA level. He has a, a PhD in um, microbiology from the University of Wisconsin. He, while he was doing that, he got his um, master's in computer science, and then he got a law degree at Berkeley. So I had I had some good intellect there at two in the morning. I was you know interacting with, and we got together again. And when I when I knew him before, I was an atheist, and and in that in that conversation. And um, by the way, I'm not an atheist any longer. <laughs> but uh, I believed, and I was able to say this to him that uh, that God has perforated. I like that word. He's perforated this world with His Word. And he has perforated this world, particularly with the person of Jesus Christ, God himself coming into this world. And because he has done that, all things are possible. And uh, that's a, a, it changes the way you look at things. So uh, I'll come back to this later, but it, has, it, it changes your outlook on life. And I see... I know it's, you don't see it by science, but Jesus talked about the wind blowing, and the wind blowing meaning the spirit moving, and you don't ever see the wind. You only see what the wind touches. And I see the kingdom of God that way. So that, this gets us into the kingdom parables, and uh, this is number seven of this series, and this is the last of the seven, Matthew 13. They've all been about the kingdom of God. They start out with these phrases, the kingdom of God is like, and they give us a composite sketch. No one parable gives you the whole truth. You put them all together and you have a kind of a a sketch of what the kingdom of God is like. And one of the qualities that you've heard maybe over and over again is that the kingdom of God is not obvious, but it is hidden. It is small. It is not a big flashy, splashy thing, at least not yet, right? Right? That you guys, I haven't been here, but you have. Am I right? So you've been listening a little bit. The kingdom of God is like, and in this case, we're going to see how that that truth comes through again, and how it's the obvious part is delayed, 
And we don't like to wait, but we are going to have to wait. When are we going to get there? And the answer to that is, I don't know. But it will happen. So here's our, let's look at thing. The parable, we'll look at the parable itself, and then we'll look at the reality of the weeds that are mentioned here, and then how do we live with those weeds in our lives. And I'll come back to my conversation with my friend. So the parable is pretty straightforward. The, and I'm gonna, there's a, there were two parts of scripture there. There's the parable and then there's the explanation or the interpretation that's given by Jesus to his followers. And so I'm going to kind of combine those. But the first thing that happens in the parable is that the, the, the sower or the farmer goes out and he sows seeds of wheat in a field. Now the sower, Jesus tells us, is the son of man. That's, a, that's his favorite title for himself that we have from the Gospels. The Son of Man. And it's not so much a uh, generic title, it's a technical term that comes out of Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is this figure, this messianic figure that has uh, God-like characteristics and qualities. And that's a lot of the messianic hope of the first century was based around Daniel chapter 7. Jesus picked up on that phrase and applied it to himself. Instead of saying, I am Messiah, he would say, son of man, a little bit, you got to figure it out, sort of stuff going on there. So we know that, that Jesus then, uh, the son of man, is the one who is planting the seed. The seed, it says, are the people of the kingdom, the people who respond to him and come under his authority, his reign, his kingship. And the field is the world. Straightforward. You all got that? Pretty simple. Really simple. But then there are two surprises that enter into the parable. And the first surprise is that the enemy, or he specifically says the devil, comes along and plants other seed. This other seed is probably called darnel, a seed that looks like wheat when it comes up, but when it gets to its full fruit, it's actually toxic and it won't do you any good. And that seed is planted along with the wheat, all of which, you know, it looks like wheat, but it's not wheat which kind of hints at the fact, and we all know this from experience, that the human heart is really, really, there's an amazing capacity to try to look good without really being good. Right? I mean, this is just the world we live in. So we have these, these, the wheat, and we have the weeds. But there's a bigger surprise, for those who heard it, and that is that when the Messiah comes, the Son of Man comes, he is not going to pull the weeds, nor does he want his followers to pull the weeds. And if you look at the history of the church, there's been a lot of weed pulling. And who likes to pull weeds? I never really liked it anyway, but uh, we can't, it's hard for us to patiently wait for God to do what only God should do. The first century, the people that heard this in the first century would have said, the Romans are weeds. And not just the Romans, but the pagan nations around God's people are weeds. Oh, when, and Messiah, when they heard the word Messiah, they thought immediately of judgment. There was nothing in between Messiah and judgment in, in terms of a timeline. And so, obviously, Messiah is going to pull weeds. And if he doesn't do it, we'll do it. It's kind of, Lord, should we pull the weeds? And Jesus says to them, no, you don't, don't do that. That's not your job. God will do that in the end. He will sort 
all things out. Your job is to be faithful and fruitful in the field that I call you to be in, which is the world. So be in the world. Grow with the weeds. You know, live with those weeds and uh, just be, be there as my faithful witness. All right, so that's the parable. And then we go to the reality of the weeds. I want to focus on this for a minute. Uh, This parable is not anybody's favorite parable, I have to admit. I can't imagine anybody saying, hey, that's my favorite. Uh, But um, it has a lot to say to us. I think we would prefer, though, that it would say, uh, that the Messiah, or you know, the Son of Man came and he politically, militarily wiped out all the weeds, or that in our world we might interpret weeds more, a little bit more abstractly. He would come and deal with racism, injustice, war, poverty, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Get rid of those bad things, but he allows them to grow alongside in the kingdom. Okay, so. Um, I got back here Tuesday, Tuesday night, we had this event down here, down the road, really cool thing called National Night Out, and I want to explain that to you because I don't know if everybody got the gist of it, but I I pulled out off their website, it's a national thing that is put together by uh, police trying to build a better relationship with communities, so this is their language, National Night Out Out is an annual community building campaign that promotes police community partnerships and neighborhood camaraderie to make our neighborhood safer, more caring places to live. It provides a great opportunity to bring police and neighbors together under positive circumstances. And in other words, it helps to keep the weeds down. Make sense? It's a good thing. And we were there, and we were the only uh, uh, church there with a, a presence. We had a kingdom presence there. And Young Life was there, and that was good. And uh, we we handed out, this is, you know, you do what you can, but it was a hot night. Remember Tuesday? Yeah, it was 94 degrees or whatever. And the helicopter came in and the fire truck was there and the kids were all, there was a movie that night. And uh, we handed out over 600 Otter Pops. And we had, yeah, was, I mean, and we had conversations around the Otter Pops. And, and so people think we are a very cool church, I think. <laughs> yeah. But it was really fun. Now next to us, this is I'm, I'm going somewhere here. So, next to us was a table by uh, the Platopians for peace. Now, you all know that you are Platopians if you live on the plateau, right? <laughs> See, I, I don't, and you can get on their website if you want. See, I think they want to. Uh, I, I'm not going to. Uh, I, I feel like they are trying to pull weeds in their own way, and and a uh, little little very idealistic, and yet. I would applaud their, at least their, what they want. It's, it's good. But uh, I want to, it's the name that kind of bugs me, actually. So here, here you go. Uh, I want, they, they're picking up on this uh, utopian thing here. So uh, I'm going to play with it, too, uh, and then ask you what your preference is. Would you rather live, <laughs> or what would you prefer? An imagined community or society that possesses highly desirable or nearly perfect qualities for its citizens... Hey, that sounds really good. Without weeds, in other words. Or dystopia, an imagined place or state in which everything is unpleasant or bad. You can choose. Well, these words are used uh, a lot these days. Um, And 
uh, in certain places at least. My son is always talk, using these words. We have conversations about it. He's a history guy. So uh, as we uh, think about that word utopia, I mean, the song that comes to mind is a song that John Lennon wrote. What was it? Imagine. And, it, you know, you, you kind of like that song, right? But isn't there something in that that says, hmm, I wonder, how's that going to happen? And, of course, the line that says, no heaven, kind of bugs you, right? If you're a Christian, that should bug you. Because that is where the weeds don't exist any longer. But at least his heart is longing for something that the human heart longs for. Now, on Wednesday night, the night after Tuesday night, follow me, I'm going somewhere here. We, you know, it's funny how serendipity life can be, but we ended up watching a movie called I Can Only. Now, I'm a bit of a movie snob. I'll admit that up front, that um, I can kind of sniff things out in terms of quality, etc., etc. There was a certain cheesiness to the movie, and I hope I'm not ruining it for you, and just call me a snob, and I'll be okay. But the, the storyline is absolutely wonderful. And it's about this guy named Bart Millard, who wrote the song, I Can Only Imagine. He's part of the, or he's really the, the guy in Mercy Me. And I love that song, so I'll come clean on that. It's a great song. But his life story, an abusive alcoholic father, one big weed in his life, and how it almost destroyed him. And he had faith, Bart had faith, and he's there growing alongside this huge weed in his life. And his father was mean. And, you know, you, you have to watch the movie if you haven't seen it. But what's amazing is, and what the story turns on, is the changes that happen. I don't want to do, you know, spoiler alert thing here, but uh, it, it, the changes that happen in the father that inspire that song. It's amazing. And you get to this place where you, you come away feeling like God can do anything. God can do anything. But there's, he does it through the reality of the weeds in our lives. And if we deny those weeds, if we run away from those weeds, if we try to pull them out, we're going to miss out on God's best for us. Uh, it's a weed-infested world. Weeds are just part of reality right now. And how, to, how do we live with those weeds is uh, really the, the big question. So I want to go there. And um, would you forgive me if you don't like history, but those who... Uh, ignore history are doomed to repeat it kind of a thing. And so, I've got, can you give me five minutes on history? Okay, some of you at least. <laughs> so this is 2000 year, year, the year 2018. So we are in the centennial of something, right? And you may have to think what that means. But 100 years ago, in the year 1918, a war that was to end all wars. It was called the Great War, came to an end. It didn't affect America the way it affected Europe. And I've always been fascinated by that war. And uh, I want to give you the reason for that fascination. It has, it has to do with not getting our hopes too high. 
And this is one of the ways we, I'm gonna, here's where I'm going to go with this whole thing. We're not gonna, we don't want to get our hopes too high, and we don't want to get our hopes too low. That's how we're going to live as faithful followers of Christ in this weed time. Okay? So, the contrast between where people were in European culture before World War I and after World War I, it's like night and day. And so before World War I, people literally, because Europe at that time especially was the soul of Western civilization and the highest, the most educated people were there, the highest culture was there, the highest, it's it just this apex of art and music and history. And it was all, they at least, you know, America was just this new kid on the block and we didn't have the same depth that they did. And they were very optimistic about the future in all these countries. You had this militarism that was kind of going like this, but you had also this, this optimism about the future because of education and science and technology and the progress that we were making was unbelievable, as, as Western civilization anyway. And then uh, the theologians came behind that, especially the German theologians, but others as well, and they said, yes, the kingdom of God is going to come through this advance in human ways of living. The kingdom of God is coming. The weeds are going to disappear. That's the sense that you get in the years before World War I from European culture, and then four years of hell. And it's just awful. So that by the end, by the centennial year, 1918, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing we'll hear more about this on November 11th this year, because that's the, that's the day that armistice was finally settled. And, and just so you know, I mean, a little history, but in the, in the summer of, 2000, or of 1918, the Germans were winning the war. And, but, but by midsummer, early summer, but by midsummer, it switched. And, it, and so the, the history here, it's, we're, we're right there. Uh, 100 years ago, uh, things were happening. And um, so people went from a utopian view of what was going to happen in the world to a dystopian view. And I want to give you just two pieces of art that uh, express that. This is, uh, I don't know if you can see it very well, uh, The New World, and this is by Paul Nash, who's a British artist, capturing, and it's just a, it's a dystopian view of the world. And then this is a, The Paths of Glory. Both of these are ironic titles. This is after the war, people lying dead in trenches, The Paths of Glory. And so Europe was in this place of desperation. And what happened to our utopian vision? Now we have a dystopian vision. And that war gave birth to a dystopian Germany, where Hitler ended up killing... This this war killed 20 million. Hitler, the fascist, that was 50 million people. And then that gave... It also gave birth... This war gave birth to communism. And depending on the number, somewhere around 100 million people died. That's the 20th century, folks. Utopian or dystopian? I mean, it's, it's a mess. Now, you think we've learned from that, but in 1989, communism came to an end, and there's a famous book that historians love to reference called The End of History and the Last Man by Francis Fukuyama. A very uh, famous historian. He's still alive. And his, his thing, now you're gonna, this is getting close to home, so get ready. <laughs> his view is that because communism died, liberal democracy 
capitalism, globalism is, is the way, and, and it's all going to, the, the weeds are going to diminish, and that, and that we're going to uh, become kind of one world, that there will be no more revolutions, that when people live into their own desires, it, it all works out for the good of all, and people will be satisfied. Are there still weeds in our world today? Yeah. You see, if you think too idealistically, you will be disillusioned. That's the point Jesus is making in this parable. And by the way, I'll ask you an even harder question. Are there weeds in your heart? You see, none of us can say we're weedless in our hearts. So we've got weeds. We've got issues. Okay, let me go. Let me go. Let me, are you ready for some good news? Okay, I, I'm sorry to overdo that. And that was the history part. So... Don't think too much, or, or don't don't get too don't expect too much uh, of the kingdom while these weeds are here. You're going to get, but you are going to get glimpses, and don't expect too little. So let's talk about not expecting too little and why that's a problem. So I was with my friend. I want to I want to uh, go back there, which means I'm just about done. All right. <laughs> I want to go back to that conversation, and we've actually tr- traded emails since that, that day that we were together. And he honestly is, I, I was worried for him, he's honestly so discouraged, almost depressed about the mess that the world is in today. Um, and we, you know, I had to agree with him. I mean, I, I, we agreed on a lot of that mess stuff. But what I noticed when I was done is that why am I not as hopeless? It, why, why, do, why do I feel different? At the, at, okay, there's the mess, yeah. The weeds are there. They're very real. Like, I agree with you. But that's not the end. And his view is that's the end, that there's no there's just no hope beyond that. And it, just, it struck me in a way when this guy I've known for all these years, and, and he just has, he has no hope. Um, he's trying to carve out some meaning and a little joy in his, in his life. And that's about it. And I just, I just have this hope. I, I, I can't help it. It just, it just ha- happens and it comes out. And I think, okay, I look up. This is what I do. I look up. And I, I mean, if you look down at the weeds all the time, you're going you're gonna to become dystopian in your heart and your mind. You're going to be shaped in that direction. It would be very discouraging to just be looking down all the time. So I look up. And I know what Jesus says here is that there is a day coming. And I say, yes, come. I want that day. And I pray that line in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And that means today. I mean, you want it today. You can, you're asking for it today, knowing realistically that it ain't all going to happen today because Jesus says it's going to begin in the future and you're just going back and forth. But you live in that tension of that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I do that by looking up, and you see the beauty of God and the truth of God and the goodness of God, and you get inspired and you don't get hopeless by looking at the weeds all the time. And then you don't just look up, you look around and you see people who are changed or being changed. And you remember that Jesus said, how do you get into the kingdom? By being born again. Not born again to be born again, but born again, that's the way you get into the kingdom and you become this kingdom person whose heart becomes shaped by the words of Jesus. And you have hope in, 
in your life. And I have hope in my life by looking up and looking around. And I think to myself, and one of the things my friend said was, people don't change. And I'm thinking to myself, I was an atheist. (laughs) How can you say people don't change? People who say people don't change, you really don't believe in God. God changes people. That's what he does. He's always been doing that. It's foundational to who he is. Now, people don't always change. They don't change as fast as we'd want. Go ahead and do your list of complaints. But look at the weeds in your own heart, too. People do change as we look up and as we look around because God can do anything. Do you have hope? Let's pray. Lord, your word makes us into um, hopeful realists. Planted in this world to be faithful and to be fruitful. Oh, God, we see weeds everywhere. And we maybe see them differently. And I want to ask each of you now just to turn whatever the weeds are in your life, whether it's a situation or a particular person, I want you to form a prayer to the God who can, by his power, change people, change situations. Go ahead. Pray a prayer. Now pray these words with me. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, we ask you to give us uh, tastes and glimpses of your kingdom today. And that is what you do. As we look back in our lives, we can see, we can see that. That not everything we see with our eyes is all there is. And so with that attitude, we pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done. And we pray for that one day when everything will be obvious to come soon. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.